Welcome to China Econ Talk. So, what are the main differences between Weibo and Twitter? What makes Chinese Twitter such a vibrant place? What did Huawei do to one of its employees that may have cost this firm its domestic goodwill? And who is the drunk guy on Hebei who became a Twitter sensation? To discuss today, we have on Jane Lee, a Hong Kong-based tech reporter with Quartz. Jane, welcome to China Econ Talk. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So, Jane, could you first talk a little bit about your journalism arc? How did you end up、uh, reporting in Hong Kong? So, I was working in Beijing as a journalist and trade publication. After, but after two or three years, I feel like I wanted to get into like very serious journalism. So then I、uh, came to Hong Kong and to get my master's degree in journalism, and then. I joined、uh, South China Morning Post, the Hong Kong-based newspaper,、uh, for two years,、uh, covering financial news, and then I went to another trade publication covering private equity and venture capital. So that kind of、uh, that experience kind of led me to my current job, which is tech reporter and courts, because I talk with lots of the basic guys,、uh, and then I started to find Chinese tech industry really fascinating. So that's how I ended up as a Chinese tech reporter on course currently. Jane, what was the most boring article you wrote、um, when working in Beijing covering、uh, the travel industry? Uh, I think almost all the articles I wrote were pretty much quite boring, <laughs> mostly about how international tourism bureaus from you know like、um, Dubai or Abu Dhabi were trying to expand in China. Uh, it's almost always the same pattern. Like they've been splashing money on customers, and they were bragging about how great the destinations were. So it's pretty much the same. So Jane, a lot of your stories grow out of discussions from Chinese social media.、Um, so at, at this point, I feel like I have a decent grasp on the WeChat article ecosystem.、Um, people can follow my writing on it on ChinaEconTalk.substack.com. But I am still intimidated by、uh, Weibo. So do you have any advice for folks on how to、uh, jump? Into the to the Weibo ecosystem, and perhaps if you could compare it to you know discourse on Weibo to to Twitter at large. Sure. So I think to start, one of the most straightforward ways for people who are not so familiar with Weibo is to search keywords. Weibo has the, its international version, so you can basically just go directly to the search function where you just input keywords such as MBA or anything that you want to know. Uh, about the reaction in China or things people are talking about in China. So once you input the words like MBA, you will load some posts that you can just use Google Translate、uh, to have a sense of what people are talking about and how are they reacting to certain issues. And secondly, I would suggest people、uh, I would suggest people to go to、um, so Weibo has this very great function which is called. Uh, trending topics, which is like similar to Twitter's、uh, trending topics as well. So basically, you will say they have chosen maybe ten or even twenty trending topics every day under this column called hot. So、um, if you go to that column, it's basically on the homepage of Weibo. It's very easy to find, and then. Uh, you go to the hot column, and you will see all the trending topics for today. And that's a really good place to try to dig up the information you want, and you just to try to get a sense of what people are talking about every day. I would recommend people to go to、uh, follow some of the influencers, so they can find the influencers in just basically from、uh, the trending topics topics as well, because under each topic. After you click into the topic, Weibo probably its algorithm would automatically present 
the posts that have been talk, talked about the most. So maybe you can try to follow some of the celebrities or influencers we call under each topic as well. So what do you think are the biggest product differences uh, between Weibo and Twitter? And how do you think they shape discussion? Weibo and Twitter are pretty much the same. I mean, they, their interfaces are quite the same. And some people joked about how Twitter basically looks very similar to Weibo after uh, Twitter, uh, after it's been it's updated. So I feel the biggest difference between the two platforms is that Weibo would kind of recommend more just random influencers to you. So basically on Twitter, maybe your timeline is filled with people that you know or people you are interested in. So you will choose who to follow and you basically know the people that you follow who are using maybe their real names and their real titles. But on Weibo, you will see so many more random people, I mean, random accounts just being recommended by Weibo because uh, Weibo really wants to increase its like daily active users. So they try every way to kind of just push the people to you, uh, regardless of whether, whether you are interested or not. So maybe Twitter will recommend topics that you are interested in uh, based on your previous uh, followers. But then... On Weibo, you basically will push to all those like topics maybe that you've never thought you will be reading about. But that is a great thing because then you can discover uh, a much wider circle that you might be uh, interesting in the future. Sure. So it's a little like it sounds a little like the YouTube algorithm and that it's just it kind of will just like give you some, um, you know, give you some real oddball stuff. I, I feel the same way. I think Twitter, um, it's very it, the algorithm does seem a little <laughs> tighter. Um, every once in a while, there'd be like a big, a big viral thing that will show up in my feed. Um, that's like some like funny cat video or whatever. But uh, most of the time, it's like NBA and um, Chinese politics. Uh, so uh, there, there, there is there. It's interesting how like Weibo it seems is actually doing a better a better job of like like breaking I don't know filter bubbles or what have you than uh, than uh, than Twitter is at least in one. Right, I think it's actually a double edged sword. I mean, for Weibo, of course, you can start to follow more people and a wider a wider range of topics. But also, I heard lots of complaints from people saying Weibo kind of like. Uh, force them to follow people that they were not even interested in. So this is quite tricky because sometimes people will find, oh, when did I follow that person? They actually didn't follow a certain account, but we will kind of just assign the account to them because people thought they would be interested. (laughs) So we was like, I think you should follow that dude, but actually maybe people don't want to. So that's like the... It's an advantage of it, I think. Sure. So obviously, another big difference between uh, uh, Twitter and Weibo is the amount of censorship that right. happens. So what's been fascinating over the past few years is a very vibrant Chinese language Twitter has grown up, which is filled with folks in the mainland who use VPNs, uh, Mandarin-speaking people from around the world. And it's a fascinating mix of you know government propaganda butting against people who really hate the CCP, yeah. Taiwanese folks, uh, Hong Kongers, and, and just like a whole big motley mix. Um, so so you want to maybe describe a little bit of your sense of what the uh, Chinese Twitter ecosystem is like? Sure. So I found that quite fascinating, too. I've been using Twitter only since maybe uh, like from June this year because I started to follow more people on Twitter and I wanted to get a sense of uh, how exactly Twitter works as well. I started to find exactly as you said, this like such a mixture of people and you have lots of mouths. Uh, like Chinese trolls that's basically shouting at everyone um, who are pro-Hong Kong protesters. And you have like very liberal Chinese people who live abroad or even within China who are defending 
Hong Kong protesters. And then you have Taiwanese people and you also have Chinese like officials joining Twitter, like a lot of Chinese diplomats joined Twitter in the recent two months. And even China's uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, they joined um, recently. So I found this mixture very fascinating. And then I found the communications between um, different groups are very fascinating as well. Like I, so some of the liberal bloggers I follow, they often have fights with uh, Chinese trolls. And um, it's actually not very meaningful conversations. Basically, each group will be just be shouting at each other and telling each other they're stupid or something. But then still, it's like something you will yeah. not say on Weibo or, only, or almost any mainland Chinese social media platform because simply because of censorship. On Weibo, you have overwhelmingly one opinion, which is we love China, we love Chinese Communist Party. But on Twitter, you have like more um, real, more dynamic um, Chinese uh language um, ecosystem, I would say. So let's start off with your piece on at Midway Dude, who runs a particularly interesting channel that surfaces mainland voices who agree with the Hong Kong protesters. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I actually started to follow Midway Dude very early on, even back, I would say two or three years ago. I think that was when he was active on Weibo, actually. So he actually, this guy uh, who lives in Hong Kong, he got his fame on Weibo first because he uh, he actually came from Milan, but then he immigrated to Hong Kong at very early age. So he speaks fluent Cantonese and Mandarin as well. So he was um, trying to become a bridge between Milanders and Hong Kongers, and he was doing a very fascinating job. He actually accumulated very very large following on Weibo. But very unfortunately, because of the censorship and the sensitivity around Hong Kong, so his account has been basically suspended, like uh, I think maybe last year or even this year. So then he kind of like focused more on his Twitter account and um, he started to um, try to help more liberal Melanders to voice their opinions on Twitter because there is not really a channel for people to say what they really think of Hong Kong. So on Weibo, if you search Hong Kong, the almost only opinion you will say is how people were calling the protesters rioters and how they're just saying all those rioters are like cockroaches, which is a term used by people daily as well. So that's the only opinion you will say on Weibo. But on Twitter, we have people like Midway Dude who keeps posting uh, sacred notes uh, sent by different mainlanders who are saying we actually are really supporting Hong Kong protesters because we want them to succeed to do something that we've never managed to do 30 years ago. So that's very fascinating that uh, people like him, like Midway Dude, he became a very... A good bridge between Melanders and Hong Kongers on Twitter. So you know, it's it's fascinating the the the, the contrast that you see between the sort of uh, Western coverage as well and the domestic coverage of the Hong Kong protests. You know, you've been living with the protests in your midst. You told me before this show that um, the first year you moved to Hong Kong was actually when Occupy Central was going on. But most of your reporting is is actually covering uh, mainland views. Is there anything else that has struck out to you about the discourse domestically and where the biggest disconnects are between uh, young Hong Kongers and people on the mainland? Maybe the biggest disconnect is like Chinese state media or Chinese media in general, they're trying to shape the movement as a pro-independence movement in Hong Kong, whereas um, people know people living outside the Great Fire War know that it's actually 
independence is not among the five key demands of protesters. So I think that's one thing uh, that's really confusing for lots of Milan people because maybe fundamentally they're very nice people. They wouldn't want to say horrible things to the protesters, but then they kind of got angered by the narrative of uh, how maybe some Chinese state media keep telling them those Hong Kong people think they're better than you and they want to be separated from you because they are superior to you. So that's the biggest disconnect that mainland Chinese people don't really know what are the five key demands and they have no channels to know exactly how uh, what the movement is about. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations where folks are like, well, what do they really want? Um, and, you know, reading the Western media, it's like they've been pretty clear uh, for the past uh, uh, for the past few months now what the gripes and what the demands are. Um, but the fact that that is still like an open question among really educated English speaking uh, mainlanders is, um, you know, it's just it's sad. And it's uh, it's 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 a really unfortunate uh, symptom of, of the, the system that um, governs governs Chinese media. I think another uh, quite big disconnect between uh, the two groups is lots of mainland Chinese people who even live abroad, who have like perfect access to all the Western media, uh, who read English just fine. They still think that the cause of the movement in Hong Kong is because of high property prices, which I would say is definitely part of the motivation, yeah. but it's not the major motivation. I wouldn't say that. The mainland Chinese people, will, even well-educated ones, they kind of bought the narrative uh, from Beijing, which keeps telling its own people that this is because of rising property prices and let's blame the tycoons instead of the political system. So that's another uh, confusion I think people have in the mainland. My favorite part of that argument is like, Property prices aren't necessarily cheap in uh, in Shenzhen, in in Shanghai, and in in Beijing, even even in even in Chongqing, right? Yeah. So okay, like you're young, you have a future, um, and just because just because like you're gonna be living with some roommates, that's gonna make you revolt. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 really unfortunate. And what's fascinating is it's also it's a very Marxist reading, um, which I which I which I find fascinating is like that that sort of argument is very much uh very much like holds water in in in, in 2019. Yeah, sure. Speaking of uh capitalism gone awry um what is the story uh, why is why is 251 trending right now next to every uh, huawei story on weibo yeah this is actually something that i didn't expect to say it really came as a surprise even to me so i've been following huawei for a while and previously the chinese sentiment towards huawei was almost always overwhelmingly very supportive of it so because huawei was always seeing this national hero in china and people were kind of praising it for standing up against uh, the U.S. Ever since Huawei was put on the blacklist in May, people were saying how we should support Huawei by buying more of its um, equipment. And uh, it's really great for Huawei to stand up to uh, the bullying from the U.S. or other European countries. But this time, the whole sentiment almost has changed overnight um, so 251 basically refers to, I think maybe last week, when a former employee of Huawei came out to say uh, he was detained for 251 days in Shenzhen after he was reported by Huawei to local police. So Huawei was accusing him of uh, leaking business secrets and also uh, uh, taking the money that he shouldn't really 
uh, take from the company. So that's major accusations uh, thrown against the guy. But then eventually the accusations were dropped because of uh, a lack of evidence. So he, the guy, Li Hongyuan, he basically walked free from the accusations. So then after this um, article, after his account uh, started to circulate on Chinese internet and people were really angry towards Huawei and they came to Weibo to say, to comment under almost any Huawei-related news that 251. So they came up with the term 251 warning, which basically means... Um, if you dare to com- comment anything relating to Huawei, you will be detained for 251, 251 days. So now this kind of anger is still yeah. hasn't come down yet. I think um, people, if you search Huawei on Weibo today, you can still say so many uh, people were posting 251. And they were so angry that they even started to say Meng Wanzhou, the CFO of Huawei, and also the daughter of the legendary founder of uh, Huawei, who is currently under house arrest in Canada, um, that they don't care about what happens to Meng Wanzhou in the future because they think she's just a princeling, she's just a very privileged princess, um, whereas Li Hongyuan, people like Li Hongyuan. So basically, like ordinary commentators on Weibo, they think they, they saw themselves in Li Hongyuan, whereas they don't think they, don't think they will become uh, Meng Wanzhou ever, but they can become the next Li Hongyuan. That's what they were saying on Weibo. This seems to me like as big as consumer backlashes get in China. I mean, I guess the the only real comparison uh, of late, perhaps, is is Didi in, in 2018 with the um, uh, the the drivers killing a handful of, of passengers. But do you have a sense of the scale of this um uh, of this backlash? So I think these two things, the Didi incident and the Huawei incident, they are slightly different. So in terms of scale, they are basically the same because people were pretty much angry towards Didi as well. And there was a really large scale debate and uh, backlash against Didi last year. But for Huawei, this is more to do with the anxieties of the Chinese middle class because there were lots lots of comments um, that saying they used to think if they go to a good university in China and if they got to work for a really good company like Huawei, their life is basically secured. They don't have anything to worry about. But now they're seeing even uh, working for companies like Huawei couldn't um, ensure their safety. They feel like really betrayed and they feel like uh, this really deep-rooted anxiety coming out. So I think that should really have Beijing worried because they need to kind of uh, reply to this anxiety. They need to come up with ways to kind of uh, uh, comfort people to make sure they feel safe again. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating because like the Chinese dream nowadays is 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 working at Huawei basically, right? Um that's like one of the most prestigious jobs you can get. And if even then you're sort of like subject to the whims of a judicial system that a comp- not even the government, but a company, a pri- like a nominally private company can like um have so much power over you to to get you thrown in jail is is pretty um exactly. pretty remarkable. You know, like Big companies have a lot of power, right? But it, this is this is a pretty uh, a pretty remarkable and, and horrifying uh, horrifying tale. Um, yeah, I I remember I remember when I first saw the guy's testimony on WeChat. This is the first article I've ever seen that has that had more than a hundred thousand likes. Um, usually, uh, usually an article with a hundred thousand, usually it's like a thirty to one or a fifty to one ratio. But you know, probably a hundred million people um, saw this. Uh, 
uh, saw this initial article of this guy writing about his experience, which is a really remarkable thing. Uh, the uh, the level of virality that um, the first uh, the first piece yeah, was definitely. able to uh, able to get. Anyways, so let's talk a little bit about uh, risk-facing content platforms. So earlier we were discussing uh, Weibo, but you've also written recently about Doban's recent trouble. So first off, um, what is this platform and what makes it so special? I have really strong attachment to Doban because I've been using the platform for over 10 years, I would say. So it actually started off around 2005. It started off as a very simple film, music, um, and book review website. Um, but you've, gradually, uh, the website has evolved to become a social network. So currently, it has over 600,000 uh, mini groups. So if I may, I, uh, so basically, you can imagine the mini groups as the discussion threads on Reddit, and people can name the groups as whatever they want. So basically, if I was a creator of one mini group, I can name the group as, I don't know, uh, some of the very interesting names I've seen are... I'm freaking poor. I really want a boyfriend, that kind of thing. So it's really, really, uh, <laughs> yeah, lots of freedom for people to name the groups and to discuss different topics. That is, of course, apart from politics. So uh, I would say Douban is currently one of the largest social networks in China, although it's not very well known in the West. What things have been particularly memorable about your, your 10 years of using the platform? Right. So I think the most memorable thing for myself is I managed to find lots of friends who love, I don't know, underground music in Chongqing when I was in uni. So I managed to act, to join this uh, group where there were lots of fans of like punk music or just like um, rock music in general. So because I my classmates were pretty much quite boring. So I managed to find this group of people on Douban and who <laughs> kind of introduced me to the very fascinating world of underground live houses in Chongqing. So that was really cool. And uh, I managed to become friends with some of them. I managed to stay in touch with them until today. So what's happened to it recently? So um, recently, I think it was around two months ago. Yeah, in, in mid-October, basically. So Douban, very abruptly, people started to find... So Douban has this kind of like news facing, which is similar to Facebook's news feed. But one day, people found out the uh, the website halted the, the function. So basically, you can't see anyone's uh, updates, and you can't uh, post anything either. So then it turned out Douban was uh, kind of uh, being regulated by Chinese censors. The website never gave the real reason for uh, the suspension of the news feed function uh, back in mid-October. But people were just speculating it might be because some people say something very political on the platform, which is usually the cause for any content platform to be suspended in China or some users in some mini groups, they were saying something, they were discussing about Chinese leaders. Um, so that was the spe- speculation people were having. But for now, uh, Douban has resumed the news feed function so people can post things regularly. Sure. Um, but this was, a, this was a traumatic experience for, um, for, for many, presumably. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I saw lots of my, my friends I follow on Douban, they were saying this kind of like earthquake. They, dis- they compare this suspension to like uh, having an earthquake uh, or they just like feel they were experiencing a disaster because they love Doban so much. Because basically, I mean, most people in the West, they probably don't know about this website, but actually there is a very large population of Chinese liberal youngsters. 
who use it, Douban really regularly. And Douban is almost the only platform where they can find people who have similar opinions as them. So it's like very devastating for them to say that one of their favorite websites was under kind of under uh, attack from the censor. And they were so worried that the website would be shut down. Uh, because previously, there used to be cases where some Douban users were um, invited over for tea. That's, that means they were uh, interrogated by some uh, police uh, in different provinces because saying, certain things on the platform. There were already worries that uh, Douban is going to be on the decline, it's going to be under tight, tighter scrutiny uh, going forward. So this incident is definitely very devastating for people. Yeah, no, I, it's fascinating. Your your anecdote really speaks to it. It's just I think I think more than um, more than 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 the U.S. There's a real um, uh, just like mainstream culture has a much tighter grip on like the um, like the Sisyang of, of young people and, um, you know, finding like that group of friends who's super into punk rock um, is a really hard thing if there isn't an Internet platform for you to um, for you to do yeah. so. So so liberal ne- doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, pro democracy, but just like, you know, I'm into like some weird subculture or, you know, I like French movies or like, you know, uh, just just something that that is not on the front page of like IGE every day. Um, and, and Doban, I think, is a really special place for um, for folks to get that. I uh, recently I remember like uh, I saw this movie like Shao Nian De Ni, um, where my girl Joe Dong Yu plays a plays a bullied schoolgirl. And uh, initially I was like I was I went to it only because it had a really high score on Doban. But I was in this movie and like I thought the movie sucked and I was really bummed out. So then I reopened Doban and I like scrolled down a little bit and there are there are two ways you can review movies on Doban. So you can do like a like a short review that's like 300 words or you can write these like big essays. And the Doban power users, you know, they'll write like critical treatises about these sorts of things. And my faith in Doban was restored because the f- highest ranked post of like the hardcore Doban users was this like 5,000 word one star right. review takedown about like how Shaun Yendini is like not deserving of the high score that Doban get it. And like all these new users that are, that just come to like support their, you know, their, their favorite celebrities really are, um, are like, you know, tainting the purity of of the of the like cultural discourse which Doban has been known for for um for years. So it, it's 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 really heartwarming just to see people, you know, be interested in different mm-hmm. cultural things like like per, like have different have different opinions, um debate about things which aren't necessarily yeah. political, you know, but like having like big discourse about art and music is a fascinating thing to 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 peer into and I really encourage folks just to like look up their favorite um you know movies or bands um it, whether it's Chinese language or English language media, you know, there's there's plenty of reviews of western books and movies getting windows into what um what young Chinese people think about uh the things that you hold dear. Um you, you know, your your cultural touchdowns from the West is a, is a fascinating window into, uh, into modern China. Yeah, that, I think your description about how um, Doban users like the thing that are not on the front page of IGE is very accurate, very good, uh, very, uh, a very good description. Because what the things they like are very much like, as you said, very subculture, and they're very similar to Western hipsters, I would say. Or basically people of their age in the West, the things people on Doban are following or saying they talk about very, very internationalized, I would say. 
So it will be a really good window for people to to get to know uh, how those like Chinese youngsters think. No, it's a it's a real bummer that like there isn't a lot of that sort of culture. Um, or at least like that culture that's expensive pr- to produce. So like a, um, a, you know, like a feature length movie or like a or like a long drama series that would really appeal to the uh, to the Doban crowd. So, you know, a show like Rick and Morty, uh, you know, has a crazy amount of discussion on Doban. It has like a nine point nine rating mm-hmm. or something. Um, but that that like attitude towards um towards culture of like you know social satire and whatnot is just not something you can really get money to uh to, to make on the mainline which is which is unfortunate yeah. anything else on doban i just like it's a great place i want more people to to, to know about it yeah i like doban so much i think if uh yeah i can't say enough about it because it's such <laughs> a fascinating platform i mean people on Doban are really well educated. Lots of them live abroad and they speak really good English. Sometimes I even saw discussion threads that are totally English between two Chinese people. They were just debating on a very uh, philosophical question in totally in very perfect English writing. So that is something you could almost only say on Doban instead of on Weibo where people's uh, education levels or even salary levels are slightly lower or they're just more mainstream opinions about things. Imagine if like Goodreads was just better than it is and you could also talk about movies and music and there was like Twitter and you could meet up in real life and you know there was all there was all this like local stuff where you could like get together with with folks in your city and and have events and whatnot. It's a special place. Someone should make it in the West. It's sort of closest to Facebook and that like Facebook now has all these kind of events features mm-hmm. and you can review things, but it's not this like select group of like really engaged people who are who who find it like a like a rewarding place to have um to have discussions like I, like uh, it, it really doesn't exist yeah. like the level of discourse um that you see on on doban like is not in any western platform that discusses culture so i don't know if anyone wants to to, to fund someone smarter than me to make it i would i would happily become the uh uh become a beta tester anyway so so jane you know we we've touched on a number of sensitive topics over the course of the show but now there's one i really want to get into hot pot like, I know you're from Chongqing and everything, but I find it really boring to eat. Like, I really like going to a restaurant and having people cook for me um, because otherwise I'll just go home and cook for myself. Um, can you try to explain the glories of, of, of hot pot? Is there something I'm really missing here? Yeah, I say hot pot is almost the best thing that ever existed in the world because as a person in Chongqing, we eat hot pot like almost <laughs> three times a week, basically. The fun part about eating hot pot is that you can... Uh, socialize quite a lot with your friends because usually we go to hot pot with a bunch of people and we will try to cook different things, especially something that might look very horrible to people living in the West. So how's hot pot in Hong Kong? Can you trust Cantonese people to execute this dish or do you just make it at home? So I actually, there are lots of uh, Chongqing hot pot restaurants in Hong Kong, surprisingly. Uh, people in Hong Kong do love eating hot pot as well because I guess it's a way for them to socialize as well. Um, so I go to those Chongqing restaurants a lot with my friends and I also cook them at home as well because, I mean, I can even eat hot pot by myself because I just love the food so much. So I often go to hot pot by myself and stay there. 
Yeah. So Jane, let's 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 close on a note we can agree on. Uh, Hobe Pangza. So who is this guy, and why is he so popular on Twitter? Yeah, it's like a very he's become a sensation now. So Hebei Pangz is actually uh, we could call him influencer in, in China. He's like a very down to earth farmer living in Hebei province in China, and it's uh, personally it's very surprising to me to see him become such a sensation on Twitter and people love him so much even in the West. Um, so he actually uh, this guy he got famous on Kuai Show which is a Chinese video streaming platform, a short video streaming platform. And then he became famous on the platform by basically binge drinking. He just drinks excessively uh, in videos and he's really and he's really good at drinking. But then somehow Kuai Shou starts to bind some of the videos he shot because Kuai Shou doesn't encourage, you know, like, let's say, um, they only encourage so-called positive content which is like basically about lifestyles and that kind of thing. So then Pangzi discovered Twitter because he got a message from some of his fans telling him that he should migrate to Twitter because there are some of his videos being circulated there. So then he went to Twitter and then he uh, joined in August, I think. Uh, And he doesn't speak only English. But then he just used the automatic translation tools on Twitter, and then he starts to post um, his videos. And then he just became so huge now. I think he's got a very large following, and people really love him because he's very down-to-earth and very humorous style on Twitter. Yeah, no, he's got like 100K followers at this point, and he deserves every single one of them. He has this, he has this patented technique where in order to drink a beer really fast, he like spins the bottle so it turns into like a water vortex and then pours out faster than you've ever seen um, someone chug a beer at a, um, uh, at, a at a frat party. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we were talking about like Doban users a while, and this guy is as far from a Doban user as you come. But it's it's really interesting to to, to watch uh, a person from this social class in China uh, be visible in the West. Uh, I, I think like the first video was just kind of like someone reposting it. And all of a sudden it had like a million likes, uh, which is which is just a, a nice, remarkable thing. And, you know, there's so many uh, negative stories, not 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 undeservedly so but like there's a lot to be like bummed out about uh modern uh china today mm-hmm. uh, but watching like hobei pangza be this like new bridge between china and the west i just think is a is a is a really like be- is a really beautiful thing yeah exactly i think it's very funny because uh china has always been trying to build its soft power over overseas by shaping the narrative um on you know platforms like twitter and facebook but beijing basically has largely failed to do so because um I mean, it's diplomats who came to Twitter. They just reposting like articles from Xinhua or other state-owned publications, or they just uh, keep condemning the U.S. for doing certain things. Whereas you have people like Pang Zi, who is like totally just a grassroots person uh, who has never been trained whatsoever to how to present himself on social media. But here he's getting so much appreciation among people from the U.S. So I think that's something that Beijing should consider that how can they improve their soft power um, in the in the future? Maybe they should hire someone as punks to be their ambassador. Should the should the foreign ministry officials, um, you know, just drink five beers before they but uh, five beers on camera before they start answering press questions? Yeah, I think that would definitely work very well. Yeah, that will make their account so much more popular compared to now. <laughs> likely, likely. Uh, Jane Lee, uh, thanks so much for being a part of China Econ Talk. 
Thanks, Jordan. China Econ Talk is edited by Jason MacRonald and Kaiser Guo, and is a proud member of the Seneca Network from Sup China. For other great shows on China, check out the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices Podcast, and of course, the Seneca Podcast. Now in its ninth year. Until next week. <laughs> They say being a parent is a full-time job, but I already have one of those. Luckily, I use Instacart to help me order everything I need while I'm stuck in meetings all day. So while Instacart is helping me get groceries, snacks for school lunches, and something for at-home happy hour, I get more time back to juggle my day job and my mom job. Save time by downloading the Instacart app, or visit instacart.com to get twenty dollars off your first order using the code Ingredients Twenty. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order thirty-five dollars. Delivery subject to availability. Additional terms apply.